Brothers of the plow, the power is with you. The world in expectation waits for action prompt and true. Oppression stalks abroad, monopolies abound. Their giant hands already clutch the tillers of the ground. Awake then, awake, the great world must be fed. And heaven gives the power to the hand that holds the bread. Yes, brothers of the plow, the people must be Hello, welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about The American Claimant by Mark Twain, originally published in 1892. Um, I'll probably just talk about this whole book, actually. I think... I think it's a little bit more of of a novelty than than some of Twain's other novels. Um, it's it's kind of a sequel to the Gilded Age, which is, is I think it's why it's in this anthology, this particular Library of American anthology, which is supposed to be later novels. And obviously, the American Claimant is one of the later novels, along with uh, the Tom Sawyer sequels and the Mysterious Stranger, but. It's the connection to Colonel Sellers, who, who gets renamed here, because I think there was another weird lawsuit about, about the Sellers name, which is kind of wild how, how that went down. But there's a lot here about inventions. This is much more of a technological novel than The Gilded Age. And I think that's, that's kind of interesting, because Mark Twain was kind of a technophile. And, you know, of course, he's famous for being one of the first writers who's a typewriter and one of the first to use kind of a recording technology i think actually this novel the american claimant was one of the first to use a kind of recording technology to uh to write the novel and then he has colonel sellers engaged in a lot of that now the whole the heart of the scheme that colonel sellers is engaged in here of course he's always doing schemes he's always involved in something sus the context here is he is claiming the uh, a, a title you know a, a, a royal title a noble title not really a royal title but a noble title in england kind of a king ralph situation but he's like engaging it he's kind of pursuing it and so we end up with something that this is something that mark twain was really interested in obviously from the works we've seen before it's kind of this contrast between european and american civilization now i would say that sellers appears as more of a major character in this particular book than he does in the the gilded age um now dealing with his name change so in the very first edition it was Ashalt sellers and that, i think the library of america keeps that particular name which is the original publication and then actual sellers who actually was like a land speculator type actually was going to sue twain about this so he changed the name to Bariah sellers but here, um, there was also some other guy named Bariah Sellers who protested that his, his name was being, you know, dragged through the mud through these novels. So he changed it to Mulberry Sellers. It's the same guy, essentially. Which I, I think this whole thing is kind of funny because it does have kind of a duke and a king kind of aspect to it. That we have a character here who's, even his own name is not like consistent um which kind of fits who he is it wouldn't work with maybe the other characters like washington hawkins it wouldn't work with him who also appears in this novel 
you you know it fits here for this um particular character who's just not she's just a con artist right so anyways how to start this well early in the novel we get this 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 quote here what a civilization is and what prodigious results there are these are and brought about almost wholly by common men, not by Oxford-trained aristocrats, but men who state soul shoulder to shoulder in the ranks, the humble ranks of life, and earn the bread that they eat. Again, I am glad I came. I am from a country at last where one may start fair, and breast to breast with his fellow man rise by his own efforts, and be something in the world, and be proud of that something, not be something created by an ancestor 300 years ago, end quote. So this is very uh, much this kind of European versus American contest. I was just actually re-watching The Haunting of Blind Manor, the, the Mike Flanagan series. And there's a character who I think is like Scottish. He's he's, he's supposed to be playing, um, uh, what's, what's his name from the Turn of the Screw? Quint? Yeah, Quint it is. Um, you know, that's an adaptation sort of a of turn of the screw. And he says, when he's talking to Miss Jessel, he says, like, in America, they only care about money. But in, in, in Britain, they only care about, like, class. And that's, of course, a, a pretty common theme in this whole podcast. And one reason I like American writing so much is it does... It's not that class isn't an aspect in American writing. It's that you don't have that, like, strict class identity that kind of comes through blood it's, it's more about it's not that caste that you sort of inherit um so i don't think the, the gilded age doesn't quite explore the division between aristocratic england and a democratic america quite as overtly as this but it might be there behind the surface in the way but i i do think like mark twain is very interested in this thing that's why he wrote books about you know, the Prince and the Pauper. That's why he wrote Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. It's why he wrote this particular book. Um, he was well-traveled. He He's not like a Henry James person who's like living his life in Europe. He very much is much more an American. He, like you could make a case that Henry James was sort of claimed by England in, the, in terms of his identity and his writing style and things like that. But you couldn't make that case about Mark Twain. But Mark Twain spent so much of his life abroad and so much of his time in Europe that he certainly was thinking about these things. Um, now, this novel is kind of the opposite of a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Um, in that novel, an American works to overthrow the tyranny of chivalry and aristocracy. In an American claimant, is it the or an? I think I'm going to get this right. It's the. Uh, the American claimant. Colonel Sellers um, is hoping to acquire the trappings of English aristocracy. Um, now, it's a, what he's after here is an earldom, but it's kind of an empty, useless earldom that no one else really wants and is making a claim for. Um, so he has that claim and he proposes it. And there's that really the back resistance to it because he's it's so stupid. It's like no one really wants this anymore. Um, now, at the same time, the real heir, who doesn't really want this, goes to America and is much more of a radical leveler. He prefers the democracy of America. So we have the American 
trying to be a European aristocrat, and we have the European aristocrat proposing basically supporting American democracy. Um, he changes the name, takes on this new identity. Um, now, eventually, there's a fire that destroys the evidence of his real position. So you kind of got a prince and a pauper sort of situation where he's able to um, evade his, uh, his, his real title. Now, of course, in Prince and the Pauper, Edward is trying to like reclaim his title here. The guy doesn't care that much. And he ends up working for Sellers as a painter, taking a really working class job. Um, and the real heir takes on this name. Tracy falls in love with Sellers' daughter, who rejects his advances because she assumes he just wants her father's newly acquired title. Now, here's the humor of the book. The book actually is kind of funny. Um, in situationally funny. It's funny. It's not like ha-ha funny page to page, but situationally it is rather humorous in the way that Mark Twain was really after. In the same way that like Mark or Lovecraft is horror, is always like body swapping horror to some degree, or a big part of his horror is, you know, body swapping. Mark Twain's humor is but kind of body swapping um, humor, and certainly that's the case here. Um, now, Tracy's actually more interesting than Sellers. We spent time with Sellers in the Gilded Age, but Tracy comes off, I think, as, as a little bit more of an interesting character, at least in my mind. Now, clearly, what's interesting, Twain here, is the difference between aristocracy and democracy and its impact on society. Um, now, to me, this is pretty obvious. This is, again, like I said, this is why I'm interested in American literature so much. It's uh, why I think American literature really does, at the end of the day, triumph over all other uh, literary traditions, uh, despite its youth. It's it's the most democratic, ultimately. Um, and as flawed as democracy as America is, I think its literature like has those ideals, which um, which I think we should strive for: e e e e e equality, brotherhood, solidarity, you know, liberty, whatever it is, the the, the values of the French Revolution. Um, now, that doesn't mean Americans don't get enamored with uh, the trappings of status, as we find Sellers and his daughter basically becoming enamored with that. Um, now, Tracy himself is does take notice of the changes in language, actually. He, he says at one point, everybody calls himself a lady or gentleman and thinks he is. It don't care what anyone thinks him as long as the, he don't say it out loud. Now, the interesting twist here, obviously, is that the American wants to become an aristocrat and the aristocrat who is enamored with American democracy. Um, we just kind of have this this body swap problem. Like It's very much like a Prince and the Pauper, in a way, or a Connecticut Yankee. Um, there's, there's a lot of parallels. In some ways, reading all these Mark Twain novels together, we find him kind of hitting the same beats. It's, it's even the case in like Putnam Wilson, right, where you have the slave and the like the, the white guy becomes a slave and the black guy becomes the master because of like a body swapping situation. Now, there's a darker message here, though, which is that American democracy is a bit of a facade. 
and that aristocratic pretensions are perhaps weaker at the end of the day. So like that actually maybe class is more muted in England than it is in America, right? If, you know, because in material conditions, that's probably the case that America did have deep divides and it's only gotten worse in time. Um, quote, this is a quote from the book. There isn't any power on earth that can prevent England's 30 millions from electing themselves dukes and duchesses tomorrow and calling themselves so. And within six months, all the former dukes and duchesses would have retired from the business. End quote. There's a fragility then to the class status, right? Like England could get rid of the monarchy tomorrow if it wanted, right? And it wouldn't be that hard to do it. And probably the English people could probably make that transition without too much trouble, right? That the, there's something very fragile about the class status that exists in England. That's not the case in America. In America, like that class status is enforced by like grotesque amounts of wealth, right? Like um, Jeff Bezos, this power, it doesn't come from any title that can be kind of usurped or co-opted. It's like actually the fact that he could raise an army with the money he has. Right. Or he can like buy an army of lawyers. He can enforce policy. He can ruin people's lives if he wants. That is real power. He doesn't need a title. He doesn't need to be, he doesn't need to be Duke Bezos to do that. Um, and in effect, what we have here is like the dukes and duchesses, and kings and monarchs of, of England are like the Duke and the king from the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn in that they... They really are just con artists who who are sustaining their power through like uh, a Svengali of, of the people, like of like kind of convincing people that they are more than what they are in reality. So why does the more interesting question, I suppose, in this novel, then, is why does Colonel Sellers want the aristocratic title? Now, of course, Americans, despite overthrowing an aristocracy, have never quite given up their strange fascination with that. And Mark Twain himself is evidence of that. He's obviously very, very obsessed and interested in this. He writes a whole book around the time he writes this about Joan of Arc, who she has. a. I mean, in a different timeline, Joan of Arc overthrew the monarchy. Right. But no, she defends the monarchy. She, she establishes it. The Connecticut Yankee kind of embraces the monarchy. The Prince and the Pauper, things are restored back to the old way. Even Mark Twain's not fully independent of this fascination with aristocracy. Maybe because it's so different from the American sensibilities. I don't know. Um, but I think it's closer to the fact that for the first hundred years or so, the first four score and seven years, of American history, of U.S. history, America had its own aristocracy in the form of vile, disgusting Southern slaveholders. After that, you turn to foreign royalty to live out the fantasies of privilege. Um, or you go to England, you become a Henry James, right? You just you just give up. You just you just transition. You, you become a trans American. Would it be trans English? Yeah, that's going to be my interpretation of, of, of Henry James anymore. He's trans. He's a trans Englishman. Um, so I suppose I should port him. His pronouns are are English, whatever they are. I don't know. You know what I'm saying. 
Now, of course, you have people in America. I've met people like this who say like, oh, I have, I'm a Cherokee princess or I'm a descendant from Cherokee princesses, right? Um, or or, or the, the worst things like find, like you go online and you search for what your family coat of arms are, right? Or you, you pay some asshole some money to buy an acre of land or no, it's not an acre, right? You buy a foot of land, right? Square foot of land in Scotland. And then you get a royal title because of some loophole in, in Scottish law. Um, it's kind of like the final escape from failure is to kind of go back to like, oh, I, I've got royal blood, which we all have in some degree, I'm, I'm sure. Right. The, the population of Earth wasn't that big like 10,000 years ago. We were all sort of. It's not that unlikely that we're connected to to some kind of royal blood. We're all, we're all descended from some kind of Uruk loyal royalty or some African king or something. By clinging, though, um, to this aristocratic pretensions, we're kind of in this... We're like the Duke and the King again, right? Colonel Sellers is ultimately a failure, like the Duke and the King. Both are clinging to aristocratic pretensions. And I guess that's what I'm thinking here, is how much Mark Twain is kind of reusing material here. Not, not that it's not good. It's good stuff, but... Like he keeps coming back to these same themes again and again. It's, um, you know, this is kind of telling me maybe I really should read the shorter essays and articles to get a broader view of, of his writings. But, but I don't think I will at this point. I, I still think I'm going to move on in a few episodes to some other writers. But you can only do so much of one person, right? Here I am doing a whole series on Heinlein saying that but it, it, yeah I'm, I'm kind of I want to get to Albert Murray I want to do some slave narratives I want to get to some women writers again I, I kind of I, th I think I'm going to for a while going to be done with Mark Twain but still I think there's something here um, and this might be the last real novel that kind of talks about this theme so I'm going to kind of hit on it a little bit um is this just consumer's vanity? I guess that's not the way. Or is it democracy? It says that the brutal quality is just too is just plain boring. So you need to like have that coat of arms, or you need to have that square foot of land in Scotland and that royal title, or you, you need to watch the like the the coronation of the new king because that like excites you in some way. There's something that you want about it, right? Or even people study European history. Americans who study European history at some level must be interested in monarchy and the whole aspect of that. So is democracy just kind of too boring for us? Life in a palace is actually more interesting than slaving away in a factory, I suppose. Or nowadays at Walmart or at Target or some other shitty uh, service job. But I don't know. What does all this have to do with sellers? Well, that's the heart of the novel. It's, it's about swapping an aristocrat for a Democrat. Now, throughout all of this, we have Colonel Sellers at his old schemes. It's the fun of the novel. Um, and a lot of what he does here is inventions. So technology plays a major role in this book. And I think if you don't want to read it for the class analysis, which I just sort of gave you, you can read this for the fun of like technology. So one of his best inventions here is an invention that automates swearing at sailors on a ship. 
The idea here is that sailors only listen to vulgar, verbally violent captains, so more timid masters could buy this device to ensure that their workers are properly yelled at. As a teacher, I kind of get this because you see, like some teachers are just good with the younger kids. I'm not very good with the younger kids. I really thrive with the older kids. But with the younger kids, there are some teachers who are just really good at like lecturing them and yelling at them and getting them to behave. So I need a device. I need this device that, that is tuned to like eighth graders or something, right? Or I just need to only get the, the older kids. That, 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 that's the solution too. But sometimes if I get assigned the younger kids for a year, I need this technology. I need something that can like be vulgar and, and, and whatever can get at the, the, the alpha. Are we at alphas now? Like, I don't know. We're, we're, how old are alphas now? I think alphas are already like 12, 13. So like incoming seventh graders are already like generation alphas. The zoomers are gone, right? So they have a whole new thing we have to deal with. Um, but anyways, there's a lot of fun technology here with seller schemes. Um, and now obviously the claim to earldom is simply another one of seller schemes and continuation of his failing of participation in democratic capitalism. And I guess that's another way to look at this book is we have sellers like 30 years later up to the same old nonsense. He's not any better off, right? You know, after the Gilded Age, he didn't really come out, have his big score. 30 years later, he's still kind of engaged in the same bullshit. I think that's kind of fascinating that um, his participation in democratic capitalism is just kind of a, a return return of mediocrity which is kind of what Tocqueville would expect. Now, anyways, I'm almost done here. I think I'm going to cheat uh, and not do two episodes on the American claimant because I don't think I have too much more to say about it. The next episode, we'll look at Tom Sawyer Abroad. And then I'll look at Tom Sawyer Detective. And mm -hmm. so in the next three or two or three episodes, we're going to three or three or four episodes, we're going to be done with Mark Twain. Now, as for the American claimant, it's probably only read by the most devoted Twain followers, I suppose. I'm, I'm not on board with it, like I am some other Twain novels. Um, I think it's a little repetitive in terms of the themes. But, you know, there is a parallel between his life and his, like, engagement in technology this is when he was going through his issues with the, the page typesetter, right? His whole investment, he lost all his money on some, not a scam, but a technology that failed, right? Was he losing his wit at this time due to this? Certainly we saw his bitterness increase with his later travel logs. And Stranger, uh, Mysterious Stranger is a very bitter, harsh novel. It's still funny. I, I actually find it situationally quite humorous, but it doesn't have the laugh out loud moments that you get in his earlier works. Um, now, Seller's failed schemes here are, you know, 30 years later being talked about in the in the context of Twain's own failed schemes, not schemes, I suppose, but investments with like the page typesetter and things like that. Um, but Twain throughout his career was very aware of the hucksterism of the Gilded Age. So 
why why did he fall for it so much as a person personally right it's not like like i would ever fall for like an nft scam it's like someone writing all the time about how like the internet is full of scams and then turn around and fall for an nft scam that's kind of what happened to mark twain here he he wrote a book about like the duke and the king and then he fell in for bad investments. It, it, it's kind of fascinating, actually, in a way, but it's a little off topic. But I think it comes through in this novel. He invested so much of his money into like this one machine. You know, like he kept sending checks to invest in this kind of thing. So that kind of strikes me as kind of interesting. But I don't know. Maybe there, there is some cynicism in this novel, but thematically, I think it's, it's a little repetitive. So I understand if you didn't want to like jump into the American claimant. But um, we got three more Mark Twain novels to read. We got Tom Sawyer Abroad, um, Tom Sawyer Detective, and then Mysterious Stranger. And, and the first two, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll see. It's been a while since I read them. I don't remember that much about them. But um, hopefully they're fun. Mysterious Stranger is great. And, you know, it was published posthumously. Um, but we'll get to that soon. So, I don't know. If you have any more thoughts about American Claimant, let me know what they are. Send me an email or, or leave a comment below. And I'll see you next time where we talk about Tom Sawyer Detective. Thanks for listening. Of the plow, come rally once again. Come gather from the prairie wide, the hillside and the plain. Not as in days of yore, with trump of battle's sound. But come and make the world respect the tillers of the ground. Awake then, awake.